Uh, I want to continue uh, to look at the book of Ephesians. We've been looking at this as uh, a Willow Park Church, and uh, we are in chapter 5 of Ephesians. I think it's a great chapter. I would encourage you to maybe read it over a few times uh, uh, this week. Um, the song that uh, Warren just sang, Light of the World, it's really, uh, Jesus is indeed the light of the world, but you and I, as his family, as his children, are also asked to be light. That we are asked to reflect the image of God, uh, not only in the church when we come together, uh, but we're asked to reflect the image of God throughout the week. And as Paul does in this letter, and if you read some of his other letters, he makes the similar appeal over and over uh, that we would be mindful of our high calling as followers of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians alone, on three, in three different chapters, if you were to sort of isolate several sections, Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 11, Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 32, and this morning in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 15, he tends to repeat the same theme. He says, once you were spiritually dead, once you walked according to, he might say, the dictates. I have a feel like this is cutting in and out, but if, I'll keep going. Fair enough. Once you served what you might say, whatever made you feel good, but now you have been made spiritually alive, you are children of the day, you are children of light, that you have been transported, what you might say, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's glorious light. And so Paul says, make sure your walk is in line with what you say you believe. And it's a reminder he gives to the church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus in this letter. It's a reminder he gives us as individuals it's a reminder that he also gives us within the context of our relationships. Um, in our homes, um, parents, children, in our marriages, husband and wife, and in the workplace, employer and employee. And we'll look at those uh, in the next two week, weeks. But in all of this, when Paul speaks about being mindful of how we walk, I think he's motivated always to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might want to say to protect the truth, the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I would think if, if Paul were to say, if you ask him about the focus of all his writings, it was, he might say that our lives would not jeopardize the gospel of Jesus Christ, but rather that how we live would visibly reflect the invisible Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God. As beloved children, and I put in brackets not just followers, sometimes we think of disciples as those who follow somebody, but we are actually the children of God, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That you and I are actually called to imitate God, to reflect the life, the light, the truth of Jesus Christ. And I would say there's no 
higher calling in our lives. And even as Jesus and his sacrifice was a sweet fragrance to God, we too are called to be a sweet fragrance. And I, I like that metaphor because in a way I can relate to it. Uh, I don't know how many times I have perhaps been hit by some sweet aroma walking someplace and I'm stopped. I don't know whether it's a, a plant, it's a shrub, it's a tree, it's a bush, but something that has grabbed my attention and stopping and trying to figure out where did that smell come from and then intentionally walking closer to breathe it in. And we as God's children are called to be that kind of aroma as we walk through life. We're asked to be that kind of aroma in the church when we gather as we are the Sunday morning. We're asked to be that kind of aroma within the context of our marriages, within the context of our homes, within the context of the workplace, that our lives would truly give off, I want to simply say, the sweet fragrance of Jesus. It's a high calling, so Paul says to us, be careful how you walk. And it's a call to what we sometimes within the church refer to as discipleship. And discipleship is sometimes something that we tend to teach people and we teach it maybe through courses and whatever. I think the call to discipleship is a very simple call of God upon our lives to be the sweet aroma of Jesus where we are, where we live. And for Paul, I think the answer about being careful about how we walk is always the same so that our lives would radiate the love of God. Now, it's true, Paul had such a direct call of God upon his life. And at times, you and I, you know, we might say we, we kind of lose focus at times in our life. It strikes me that Paul never lost his focus. And Paul says our lives need to bear evidence to the truth of God, to the truth of Jesus in how we walk. It is possible, I think, at times to spiritualize our faith, uh, to somehow separate spiritual experiences from what I might call our physical day-to-day walk. It's possible to live off and even seek spiritual experiences and yet in some ways flounder through the everyday, ordinary walk of life. And I think Paul would say in many of his letters that our spiritual life, including all of our spiritual experiences, are meant to speak into the ordinary, everyday aspect of what it means to walk through this world as a child of God. In fact, I think Paul would say our spiritual life and all that that means is meant to alter, to change how we walk, how we talk, how we think, and that daily walk is meant to give off the sweet smell of Jesus. It's a high calling. It's a noble calling. I think it's an amazing calling. And so Paul might say to us this morning, take a minute to examine how you live. And Paul, as he so often does, contrasts, I would call it, self-centered, self-seeking lives 
Sometimes he refers to that as once being dead in your sins, once being spiritually dead. He contrasts that with what it means to be renewed, to be reborn in Christ. That our lives should be characterized, I will say, by high moral standards rather than immorality. Our lives should be characterized by contentment in Christ rather than what you might say the blind pursuit of what this world has to offer. Lives characterized by positive, uplifting speech rather than crude language or inappropriate jokes. A life characterized by a sober, clear-thinking mind rather than drunkenness. And it's pretty clear language. And it's not words or doctrine, it's about how you live life as a child of God. Ephesians 5, verse 3 to 5, it says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. A rather rather strong comment. I believe Paul understands that all of those things, impurity, greed, coarse or crude talk, that they may at times surface in our lives, that there may be times in our life when someone might say, whoa, they kind of didn't expect that from that person. It could be that at some point, some time, I might say something that is crude, something that is inappropriate, but the reaction should not be, well, you know, that's Doug. The reaction should be absolutely the opposite, You know, that's not like him. In all of these things that Paul talks about, immorality, crude language, all of that, every one of us will at times fall short. Uh, Paul himself talks about that in a different book, about the battle that wages within every one of us as we walk through this life. But Paul would say that immorality, crude language, greed, must not define us or control us. And that if they do, we have become their servants, and they, in all effect, have become our masters. We may not physically bow down to them, but they have essentially become our idols. And if they do, rather than being a sweet fragrance, it is possible, and I think the message uses this phrase, it's possible for us as Christians to stink to high heaven. Being a light, being a people of truth, being a people of integrity, being a holy people is a high and challenging calling. But it is to be our response to the love that God has poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And while we stumble and fall, 
we give thanks to God who gives us not the strength of our own resolve, not the strength of our own righteousness that we can muster up, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the victory that Jesus won on our behalf is meant to more and more give us the victory and conform us into the image of Christ. So Paul says to us, be careful how you walk. Paul goes on in Ephesians 5, 6, and 7, and he warns about deception. And he's writing to a a church, so he's warning a church about the reality, the possibility of being deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of men. It's, uh, it's language that he repeats in other uh, letters within the New Testament. In Colossians 2-8, to he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. And I want to say that if truth is the language of the gospel, deception is the language of the spirit of this world. Deception is the language of the enemy of our souls, and that deception has the potential to masquerade as light, to make that which is wrong, make that which is sinful, somehow seem perfectly okay. And Paul would say the spirit of this world is a master of deception. I would say this morning that the world we live in is also seeking its own disciples. They might not declare it, but the world, the spirit of the world, is seeking people to follow it. And we are bombarded with messages that I would say are from the spirit of this world. They are cleverly embedded in advertisements we watch, They are cleverly embedded in the media we may watch, and the message is pretty simple. Put yourself, put your interests first, and seek after the things of this world. Sexual freedom, yes. Overt materialism, yes. The world says embrace the lust of the eyes, embrace the lust of the flesh, embrace this pride of life, the sense that I'm in control of everything. Because the world said in the end, it really is all about you, so go get it. And I think the Bible would say that this voice, which people may believe is kind of their own, is actually the voice of the spirit of this world. And it's a manifestation, I think, of a spiritual battle that we live in, that we fight against. And the Bible speaks against immorality, against drunkenness, against greed, against crude language. The message of this world questions every one of those ideals. It's a deception that so often leads to emptiness, disappointment, despair, and at times bondage and addiction. And inevitably, 
following after the spirit of this world leads to death. So apart from faith, a person might very well ask at the end of their life, what was that all about? For a child of God, for a follower of Jesus Christ, we walk through this life to bring honor and glory to God our creator. He gives us what I would call a new lease on life, a new perception of life, and in the end, not death, but eternity, a gift of eternity through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to guard against the deception that is spoken into our lives. Um, I think it's subtle, and I think it causes, Paul says, examine yourself, consider how you walk. Deception can also come within the church. And I think Paul would say, guard yourself against those who see and use the gospel as a means of personal gain. In one verse, and it says to beware of those who peddle the gospel, but do so without sincerity. Be alert to those within the church who are actually seeking their own followers. Don't let anybody speak a different gospel than the one that we have been given through Jesus Christ. Those who like to add man-made rules to the gospel. Those who may want to question the very essence of what, what we believe, the life, the death, the resurrection. Paul would say, be careful of those influences within the church. And I think Paul would say, hang on to the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His love for a broken world. His love for you and me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let that love that God has given through Jesus to us be expressed in a new way of thinking, in a new way of living. Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. I don't know if there's ever been a generation or a decade of time in history where that phrase would probably not be appropriate. Because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And as I read that, um, and thought about it the last couple of weeks, the last phrase uh, jumped out at me, this phrase about understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, it jumped out at me partly because it reminded me of my Bible school days. That's a long time ago, um, but it's a memory that kind of has stayed because within the context of my Bible school days, the comment about being in the center of God's will was often repeated. And I will tell you that it caused me, at times, confusion. It caused me some difficulty, that phrase, what does it mean to be in the center of God's will? And it seemed to suggest to me at that time that every, every choice, every decision, every step had the potential of somehow making me somehow off target for what God really wanted me to do. That life was in a way, I will call it a spiritual game of hopscotch, trying to match up 
with where God wanted me to be, wanted me to do. And so it filled me at times with so much, I'll call it second-guessing. And I think it's the wrong way to think about the will of God for our lives. I want to suggest this morning, and I think Paul would perhaps agree, that the will of God for you and for me is not a movable target. It doesn't shift. It doesn't change. In fact, the will of God for our lives is a constant And it is consistent about what God wants for you and for me. Circumstances in our life are going to change. Um, Vocations might change. Health might change. We might at times make poor decisions in life. But I want to say the will of God for us is not nullified or determined by decisions we at times make in life. And some of them may be wrong decisions, but the will of God is that we find contentment, we find rest, we find strength, we find hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. Regardless of where we are in terms of circumstances, regardless of whether we're in a really good place and everything seems to be lined up really well, or whether life is a bit of confusion, the will of God is that we would find rest in him. I think it's in Thessalonians where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. It's God's will for you and me in terms of how we live our lives. In terms of the church, and we talked about this earlier in Ephesians, God's will for the church is that we would diligently pursue peace, unity within the church, that we would make allowance for each other's faults, that we would be willing to forgive one another. That's the will of God for his church to sing spiritual songs together as we did this morning. And as far as our salvation goes, to give thanks to God for everything because he is, in the end, he's both the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And in terms of our personal lives, Paul would say the will of God for your life is Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. For we are, I think I like that word, and I know you can sort of get too focused on zeroing in on a word. It doesn't say you are sort of like a fragrance or that you might be a fragrance. It says, for we are the fragrance of Christ to one another, both in the church and outside. And this morning, I simply want to ask the question. I think it's a valid one. I ask it of myself. What kind of fragrance, as a child of God, am I giving off? And I want to say, if you're walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you understand what it means to continually put off the old, put on the new, I want to tell you that your life will be a sweet fragrance to those around you. And you might say, well, Doug, is my little life 
that critical. And I think Paul would say it's absolutely critical so that the gospel, the gospel of love, the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of hope, the gospel of victory can be proclaimed without hindrance. So Paul says, be careful how you walk. Walk as children of the light. It is a sweet and honorable calling. And I think it's the definition of discipleship. It means to walk that way through the power of the Spirit of God. I want to just close with words of Jesus from Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. You are. He's talking to the people who he's gathered today. We would say he's talking to us as his children. You are the light of the world. That's quite an incredible statement. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this gathering this morning as your church, your children, your people in this place. Father, would you invite each one of us to continually examine how we live, how we walk. Father, may we be reminded that our call is to give off a sweet fragrance of Jesus. So speak into our life, I pray, as we go through the ordinary things of life. That in those things, God, you would speak to us what it means to be light. In our homes, in our marriages, God, in our families, in the workplace, Father. It's our desire to give off a sweet fragrance of Jesus. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.